Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. episode is brought to you by Lewis's Lamps and Lanterns. What can we say? They have lamps. They have lanterns. They have lights. You need to light things. They have things that light up. Do they have light bulbs? Well, yes. It's a real question. Have light bulbs been invented here? Yes, this city, this entire narrative. I end up in a lot of strange places. It's hard to keep track of who has what. One place has light bulbs, the other has tiny little fairy flies. They trap inside of glass orbs and use those to light up manors and streets. That is definitely a thing. Well, the fairy flies aren't actual sentient fairies. That would be cruel. I would have you know, I am extremely pro-fairy rights. In a war between humans and fairies, trust me, I would side with fairies every damn time. Oh, if only you knew. What? No, the, the, the flies are like dragonflies, but you know, fairy versions. Well, yes, they're still cute little creatures. No. No, I don't imagine they like being trapped in the glass orbs. I'm just saying there's a difference between... Well, I didn't trap them. I'm not involved in the industry at all. I don't catch them, I don't place them, I don't make the orbs. I don't do anything, I just was walking down the street and noticed that's how the lights work there. Okay, well, yes. I suppose I could have just gone around breaking all the orbs and freeing all the fairy flies. Although, real way to fit in. Slide around a strange narrative unnoticed. I'm sure Harriet the Spy is shaking in her boots at the idea that you're going to enter the spy game. I'm sure James Bond has soiled his briefs. Don't worry who he is. Different narrative. Can we... Can we just do the ad? Airtime does not pay for itself. Lewis's lights. They've got anything that gives off light, including apparently light bulbs. But not cute little fairy flies, so if you're going to get all hippie, save the animals on me, congratulations, you can shop there. No, I have never tried vegetarianism. Well, of course you are. That doesn't mean anything. I'm just expressing an utter lack of surprise. Well, if it makes any difference, I do not discriminate in my choice of meat. Human meat is as viable an option as any other. Why, yes, I have. It tastes like pork, a little less salty. No, I don't know what vor is. No, I don't care. No, I didn't. Now look here. I'm a civilized being. I don't go around biting people on the street and trying to eat them. I am not a vampire. It was an elegant meal, expertly prepared. Yes, well, unlike some, I do not discriminate. I don't go around telling people their meat is not good enough or too good for me. I mean, their cooking, on the other hand. That's a different story. I am not a barbarian. I will not put poor cooking in my mouth. Standards are what separates us from beasts. Beasts like stupid little fairy flies. 
Okay, okay, enough. Can we, can we just get on with the episode? Yes, so, this week, we present episode four of Michael and the Monster. The space that Michael was now in, he would one day refer to as the Metaverse. But for now, he was scrambling to make sense of it. He was in what he could only think of as another dimension, with colors he couldn't always describe, odd sprinkles of light and darkness, and incredibly vast organic tubes that ran off beyond where the eye could see. Michael was floating in space, not yet wondering how he could breathe or where he might find food or any other practical concern. His mind was overwhelmed and his sanity cracking. Far up ahead, the gnomes were riding the monster over some of the great tubes, and Michael scrambled to keep up. He tried making swimming motions, and once he connected with one of the tubes, he used that to pull and push himself. The monster, however, reached a tube with a pinkish hue and used its claws to rip a hole open. It descended into this hole, beyond which looked like a scene from a normal world. Once inside, the hole healed itself. Michael eventually reached this spot, but couldn't coax open a new hole. He was left floating above the tube, stranded in a strange dimension with no hope of rescue. He screamed, he wept, he snapped. And eventually, he simply fell asleep. He awoke an unknown amount of time later. He was still just drifting through the bizarre space, he saw a large shape pass in the distance. Little flakes of light wandered about him. He felt a bit better and started trying to work out how to move himself. Trial and error eventually taught him that pretending you could fly seemed to actually produce flight. At one point, he stretched his arm out as if to take off through the air. It did nothing. Later, when he did the same motion but imagined himself flying forward, he actually went forward. Jumping off of a tube was by far the best means of propulsion. It made more sense to him. He would leap off a tube and move with good momentum. He discovered that he moved with better momentum when he aimed himself. Once again, belief he could do something produced better results than just trying to do it. He did occasionally see beetle-like creatures crawling along some of the tubes. Once or twice, he thought he saw a great shadow off in the distance pass quickly. It was hard to know for sure what was happening. There was a lot of movement. The wisps of light moved, the tubes slowly shifted. Sometimes it even looked like a scene from a dream would appear in space out of the corner of his eye, but when he looked at it, it would fade. He would hear occasional voices saying odd things. Some were muffled and came from inside a tube. Some seemed to speak from somewhere just around him, but by now he simply assumed he was mad and paid them little mind. The passage of time was hard to gauge. He knew hours had passed, possibly days, but finally he saw a large tower in the distance floating at an angle. The nature of this tower was unclear at first. It kept shifting its appearance, but once Michael focused on it with determination, it settled onto stone. He made his way to it, for the first time feeling a sense of hope and even curiosity. There was no ground, but it had a base nonetheless, and at that base a door through which Michael entered. 
It was apparent fairly quickly that the tower hadn't been built by normal-sized people, but the size was hard to determine. The lower levels were for creatures taller than humans, but once you got up a few levels, it was for creatures who came up to maybe one's knee. In some rooms, there was machinery and panels that didn't make any sense to Michael. There were hallways that followed no dimensional logic, twists and turns that led back in upon themselves. However, his heart leapt when, after returning to the bottom level in frustration, he found a sign with an arrow that said, This way, human friend. Wooden planks had been built like scaffolding to accommodate a person, and Michael followed the trail until he came to a makeshift room, inside of which he found some interesting things. The first and most obvious interesting thing was a mural depicting a number of strange beings, but in order. It started on the left with a creature that was just a translucent stalk with a circle of light at its top. Instead of a neck, thin spaghetti-like tentacles came out all around just beneath that orb of light. Other than the narrow pipe-like stalk that hung down beneath that, that was all the creature was. But an arrow pointed from it to another bizarre being, then another, and after several more they started resembling actual animals. The next to last one Michael knew well. It was a rat, although one that was depicted as walking upright. Beyond that, nothing more was painted, but there was a crude chalk drawing that looked like a small, rather cuddly little bear. The other thing of great importance was the torn remains of an old notebook. Michael's reading abilities weren't spectacular. In his little village, most people couldn't read or write, but Michael's parents were among the few who could, and they had taught Michael the basics. There wasn't much left of the notebook. Many pages were missing or damaged, but there was still a small coherent amount. He read, Should you be experienced enough to catch up with us, Doug Saradwin and myself are going to build a paradise for transcendence, our very own Elysium, where we can live out an eternal existence and never know true death. We are creating a small sub-reality and attaching it secretly and carefully to the outer wall of Elysium. It is quite dangerous, as any disturbance will alert the sentries, and they are very, very bad news. But we have high hopes. Come join us, traveler. I assume you are one of us if you have reached this place. Come, Build a home in a land populated by ones such as ourselves, outside of death and mortality, where we can forever create a paradise, a playground for us to exist in eternally. Escape the endless wheel of reincarnation or the fear of Elysium. Who knows what awaits you there? I have attached coordinates. You will need a certain skill level, but if you are here, you have either reached that level or are close. We intend to keep the door leading in and out constantly propped open just a hair so that we may come and go at our leisure. But this is all theory. The task is quite difficult. Tricky. We could use all the hands we can get. Come, answer the call. The next few pages were unreadable. Towards the back, there was more text in a different pen. Lo. Who knows where these pages may end up? but they were written in one of the great watchtowers and left there to be found by another of our kind. If you are reading this, especially if you are at this moment inside one of the watchtowers, 
Greetings, fellow transcendent. Tis a wondrous metaverse, no? I offer you these pages so that you may know that you are not alone. Rare your abilities may be, but there are others like us. Many times we know little about ourselves. Yet one of us, William, has written a grimoire which has the most information ever collected about our kind. I have read a small portion of this book and can verify its existence. We are seeking William out, and indeed we are calling him and any others of our kind together to a special place we are creating where we might live free of death and decay, supported by others like us, in a little pocket attached to a place called Elysium. If you have never heard of it, I discuss it elsewhere in this missive. Do you know where you are? Not just the metaverse, but this watchtower? This watchtower is ancient, and one of about twenty that dot various spots of the metaverse, that great space outside of all narratives. They were built by a great race, depicted upon the wall here. We do not know the species' name. We know they have evolved their form radically over time, and at one point were so advanced that they left not only their world, but their very narrative itself and attempted to settle metaspace. They built watchtowers and internarrative highways, pocket dimensions that served as ultra-narrative towns, and other exploits William discusses in his grimoire. Their fall is the stuff of tragedy. What precipitated it, it is not truly known. You'd have to ask those of them that are left. The theory that William presents is that a major contributing factor was de-evolution. After they moved to the metaverse, they were cut off from biological roots provided by their planet, their narrative. Their species evolution was thrown into chaos, and they de-evolved. Their forms became less functional, their intelligence less magnificent. They lost their ability to grasp their own tech, understand their own science. Their last incarnation was as creatures akin to rats. Apparently they are evolving form again, trying to self-direct themselves into a more pleasing form, like some type of small bear, but time will tell if they succeed. It is quite bizarre, really. They are still highly advanced, and their knowledge still greatly surpasses humanity in any narrative I've ever seen but it is only a pale shadow of their former glory. This watchtower is a remnant of their species' wonderful past. It is unused for centuries, perhaps millennium, who can say? But it is the nearest structure to our narrative strand. Ah, yes, our current narrative strand. There is a small group of us, like I mentioned. We are calling as many of us as we can, and the paradise we build should like a magnet, attract any others of our kind who might inadvertently die. There is a quality to our transcendent consciousness that can be attuned. It is a science we learn from these creatures during a particularly fruitful exchange. We are currently based out of strand OR451Z. You'll need to know how to read strands. On the page following this is a table that should explain the system we have devised. Michael turned the page but unfortunately, the next few pages were ripped out. He sat then in the great empty tower, all alone, and wondered what he should do next.
Well, well, wasn't that delightful? And now, of course, to play you off, here's a song by one of the members of our New Albion Orchestra. Take it away! is watching I might take you home We might make out When nobody's there It's not that we're scared It's just that it's delicate So why do you fill my sorrow with the words you borrowed from the only place you've known? And why do you sing hallelujah? If it means nothing to you, why'd you sing with me at all? before when there's nothing to give well how can we ask for more we might make love some sacred place Look on your face is delicate. So why do you fill my sorrow with the words you borrowed from the only place you've known? And why'd you sing hallelujah if it means nothing to you? Why'd you sing 
Hallelujah, if it means nothing to you, why'd you sing with 